Hi, I'm Shani Cooper, and you're listening to the Jewish Women Podcast, where we discuss biblical women and see what they can teach us about being a Jewish woman in this big, confusing world. Penina is first introduced to us as the second wife of Elkanah, a leader of Klal Yisrael who's mentioned at the beginning of Shmuel Aleph and in the Haftorah of Rosh Hashanah. Elkanah had two wives, Chana and Penina, and the first thing that we hear about them is that Penina had kids while Chana did not. Every year by the holidays, Elkanah and his family would go to the city of Shiloh, to the Mishkan, where he would bring karbonos. When he'd bring a sacrifice, he'd divide it up into thirds. One third for the Mishkan, one third was for Chana, and one third was for Penina and all of her kids. So already, right away, you can see a little bit where this is going, right? Chana and Penina get the same size portion, but only Chana gets it to herself, and Penina has to share her portion, equal to Chana's in size, with her all of her 10 children. So that's number one. Another bit of evidence in the psukim that Chana and Penina were not equals in the way um, were not equals in the way Elkanah saw them um, is the way the Navi refers to them. The first time when they're introduced, Penina is called by name, but after that, she's referred to as Chana's Tsara. Tsara literally means pain. So she was not only the second wife, but she was a painful one. Why? Because every year when they'd go up, so Penina would needle and torture Chana by rubbing it in her face that she didn't have kids. And I realized Penina had 10 kids. So so this is quite painful. It's painful enough as it is for Chana to have been re- to, to for for Chana to be reminded all the time that she didn't have kids, but to be reminded by the woman who was married to her husband and had ten children with her husband was an extremely painful thing. And Rashi says that Penina would be would say deliberately hurtful things like, "Oh, did you buy clothing for your son? Oh, whoops, I forgot you don't have kids." Right? We know how like most of us know how catty women can be. And Penina was was just the master. She said catty, hurtful words that drove Hannah over the edge. And eventually it got so bad that Hannah, once she realized that Elkanah wouldn't daven for her, right? What was Hannah's first reaction? Hannah's first reaction was to run to her husband. So she ran to Elkanah and she told Elkanah what, what Hannah was doing. And Elkanah said to her, you know, what do you want me to do? And his actual words were, um, you know, aren't I as good for you as 10 children? Which is sweet, but um, also shows that he was not very in touch with, well, what is it, you know, with Hannah and what was important to her. And when she realized that, when he said this to her, she was very upset, and she she wouldn't eat, and she start and she started crying, and she ran to the mishkan, and she poured her heart out in the mishkan, and she davened, and she was blessed with a son who turned out to be Shmuel, who was one of the greatest neviim that we've ever had, um, and a very big tzaddik. So this is a very interesting story. Now, normally when I speak about the story, I focus on Chana. There's a lot that we can learn from Chana, um, everything from the way she dealt with Penina in terms of the story itself and also in terms of um, the the prayers that she said. We can, we learn a lot of laws about the, um, from the prayer that she said, but today I want to talk about Penina. So Penina is an interesting person, right? Because why would she do this? She was married to one of the leaders of Klal Yisrael and she had 10 kids. Clearly she was a good person. Clearly she was a righteous woman because I can't, I cannot imagine that Elkanah as the Gadol Hador, as one of the leaders of the generation would have married someone who was not a good woman. And so you, so why if she was, 
if if we're if we're working on the assumption that she was a good person, then why would she do such a thing? This is really cruel. It's really really cruel. And you don't have to be somebody who doesn't have kids in order to understand. But you know, every person has things that they are sensitive about. And if you're a person, if you if you're close to someone and you deliberately use your knowledge of of this person to hurt them, that is a really, really one of the really most cruel things that you can do to someone. And the, and Penina went out of her way to make Hannah miserable by teasing her about this, about, about not having kids, which is something that Hannah was, was sensitive about. So, and there's a lot of, um, of the commentaries who say that she was, that she did it L'Shem Shamayim, right? She did it for, for Hashem and she did it. She had a good reason and she was, um, well-intentioned. And if she was L'Shem Shamayim and well-intentioned, like some say, so then why was she punished, right? The later on, the Navi says that she was punished by having all of her kids die. Two of her children died for every one that Hannah had. And Hannah ended up with five kids. So she lost all of her kids. Now, um, there are some commentaries who explain that she actually lost eight out of 10 and the last two, Hannah saw what was happening and then she davened to Hashem that they should stop dying. And so therefore those two are credited to Hannah. So biologically, um, Hannah really had, um, you know, three kids and Penina had two kids left after the whole thing. But when the Navi talks about it, it says that Penina lost all of her children and Hannah has five children. Okay, so, but the, but the point is, is that she was punished very severely. And so the question is, you know, why, what would possess her to be so cruel year after year? So there are, there are several main schools of thought as to why Penina would do this. The Al-Sheikh, Okay, who's a commentary on the Navi says that she did it l'shem shamayim, that her intention, Richie had good intentions, and her intention was to get Hannah to Davin. But the favoritism that Elkanah showed so clearly to Hannah through bigger portions, through more attention to Hannah's needs, planted a seed of jealousy in Pinina that she could not shake. And this affected the level of vitriol through which she tormented Hannah, and this is why she was punished. Elkanah and Hannah loved each other very, very much, and they they, they, uh, Penina was the second wife and Penina saw this. And so while Penina did respect Hannah and she did want her to pray, the seed of jealousy in that she was always going to come second to Hannah in terms of in, in their, um, race for Alkana's affection, what it planted the seed of jealousy in her that she couldn't shake. And she just could not be completely 100% altruistic in her efforts to get Hannah to pray. And there's another commentary called the Ben Yehoyada, who has a slightly different opinion. And he says that she was not really L'Shem Shemayim, that she really didn't have good intentions, that she told people that she was, she told people that she did have good intentions, but deep in her heart, she wanted to wound Hannah. And this is not what he says. This is just what, you know, we were thinking, my husband and I, my husband prepares this with me. So we, we were thinking that maybe, you know, she herself felt wounded by this lack of attention and therefore she wanted to wound Hannah, which is a very natural thing. But again, the Ben Yoyada didn't say that. Um, he just says that, you know, she really was not L'Shem Shemayim. Now, Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, who was the Rosh Hashiva in the mirror in, you know, after World War II, um, he died in 1979. He um, has a sefer that is written up of all of his 
um, his schmoozen that he gave to the boys in the mirror. And in his Sefer, he talks about Penina. And he says that Penina was 100% completely the Shem Shemayim. He says there was not even a seed of doubt in her mind, not a seed of jealousy. She completely was well-intentioned. And she did it because she knew that her torturing Chana in this way would cause Chana so much pain that she'd have no choice but to daven for a Yeshua. But she was, so why was she punished if she did it if she was completely well-intentioned because he says that when you're talking about messing around with making with other people's feelings, it's like playing with fire. You get burned. Meaning you can't, you can never be too careful with someone else's feelings. There's no, there's no extreme that you can go to, to make sure another person doesn't get hurt. That is um, too extreme. So because Penina played around with this very, very dangerous thing by making Hannah feel bad, even though she did have good intentions, just just the same way, you know, fire can be a very good thing, but if you put your fingers in the fire, then you're going to get burned. So the, these, you know, treat, the way you treat another person is the same way. If you treat another person badly, even if you have good intentions, it's just like fire, you're going to get burned. So the so according to Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, that's why she got punished so severely. Now, there's another commentary called the Mabit, and he says that the reason why Penina did it was because she understood that Chana was able to have kids, but that Hashem was closing her womb for some reason. She pushed Chana to Davin because she wanted to see her with the, chi- with the ch- child that she was meant to have. And he adds that Chana was not having kids. Why wasn't Chana having kids if she was able to have kids? Because she loved Elkanah and had settled herself into her life of childlessness. She was very comfortable there. And the Navi that was, the, the Navi that was meant to come from her, though, the, this great person who was supposed to be one of her descendants had to come from a completely pure relationship. And the relationship between Chana and Elkanah was very physical. Now, that doesn't mean that it was only physical. Obviously, they loved each other very much on more than just a physical level, but it was... Um, their, their, their relationship was physical in the sense that Elkanah took care of Hannah. Hannah felt very taken care of by him and very loved by him. And it was, um, you know, it was more like the way we think of love nowadays. That was more, I, I would venture to say, how, how their relationship was. Although they're, you know, obviously they were very great people. So it's, it was not purely physical, but the, the, um, you know, she, she felt cherished and taken care of by which is not a bad thing. However, it did lead her to this sense of complacency that she felt she was, she, she loved her life. Like she felt she had a good life and she accepted the fact that she couldn't have kids. Obviously she really did want kids, but it wasn't this, it wasn't like a constant pain. And so Hashem held her back from having kids until the desire would come from a holier place, right? It shouldn't come from a place. It should come from a very, very holy, pure place. It shouldn't come from the, like the fact that, you know, anything to do with her relationship. It should come from the, uh, a holier place only having to do with God, not having anything to do with, you know, any kind of physical um, connection to her husband. So Penina might not have understood this at such a deep level, but she did understand that Chana needed to be pushed. And she understood that Chana needed to daven. And the Maharal says a little bit differently on this. And he says that the purpose of Atsara, right, the, 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 that the Navi calls her Atsara, 
which is, you know, the second wife is called a tsara, is a person, tsara literally means pain. And the, um, the purpose of a second wife is to enhance the relationship of a husband and wife because the, the tsara causes the other wife to cling more tightly to her husband by doing things to get her attention. So Penina's intention in causing Hana pain was to enhance the connection between Hana and, and Okana. And then when he, if she would enhance this connection between them, then they'd both pray harder to Hashem. And then that would lead them to have the child that they were meant to have. So according to most opinions, Penina's intentions with Hana were L'shem Shemaim. They were completely pure. She was looking out for Hana. So this this paints a very different picture, right? When you first read the Navi and you read of all the things that Penina did, you kind of think of her as a villain. And you think of her as this woman who was jealous of Hannah's relationship with their husband. And you think of her as this cruel person who was insensitive and who teased Hannah for no reason. But when you read some of these Mepharshim, you it, it paints a little bit of a different picture. And it paints Penina as this woman who thought of Hannah almost like a sister and who really loved Hannah and was looking and she wanted the best for her. And she was unhappy with the fact that Penina was unhappy with the fact that she had kids and Hana didn't. It didn't make her happy that Hana didn't have children. She wanted Hana to also have kids. And she realized that her tafkid as a tsara, right, her purpose as a second wife, her, her purpose of being a part of this marriage was to strengthen Hana and allow her to have kids. She saw that Hana was complacent in her life and that if she'd be if she if she merit to have the child, if Hannah would merit to have the child that she was meant to have, then she had to be pushed to Davin, that the only way that she would have this child is if she prayed harder. And she saw that Hannah was was just too complacent in her life and she wasn't praying hard enough. So she was so focused on this, on helping Hannah to get to that level where she can pray the way that she needed to pray, that she was willing to do what it took, even though that meant hurting Hannah, who was someone who was very dear to her. And if you, if you think about the way Rav Chaim Shmulevitz um, interpreted it, then that meant that she'd suffer as a consequence, but she was willing to suffer. I don't, I don't know if she realized exactly how she would suffer, obviously, because it could be if she knew what her punishment was going to be, that her children were going to die, she would have acted differently. But you know, according to Rav Chaim Shulevitz, we can postulate that she did know that she was going to suffer and she was going to get punished, but it was worth it for her to push Hana to the edge because she realized that without Hana being pushed to that edge, she would not ever have that child. And then the world would be, the world would be a different place. And there's another commentary of Moshe David Vali, who's a Talmud of the Ramchal, who, um, who says that Penina, the, the word Penina, Penina's name is from the Lushan of Penemius, which means internal. And Chana, the name Chana is a Lushan of Chain, which means favor. It's, it's something that's external, right? Um, which is, and, and Chana was more in touch with, with the external. Chana represented the, the Chitsonius, the external, um, part of what makes us who we are. And Penina represented the more internal parts of what makes us who we are. And they were both very, very righteous women. And, and Chana specifically was a very, was a very big tzedekist. She was very righteous. And in her humility, she accepted her situation, meaning she wanted kids, but she said, if this is what Hashem wants, then I accept it. But Penina, who's, 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 
was very connected to, um, to people, you know, inside. She was more, she saw deeper. She was able to see that Chana had a lot of greatness inside of her that was not coming out because of this humility. She, because of the, Chana's accepting her own situation, Penina saw that she, all this greatness that was inside of Chana was locked up. And she thought that it would come out if she'd be cracked open. And she tortured her so that Chana would be pushed to the edge and then would dive in the way Hashem was waiting for her to do. She was able to see this situation. She was able to see Chana's situation in a way that Chana herself was unable to see it. So this, this way of looking at, at Penina is it, it, it gives, it's like a whole different lesson. It's a whole different, um, a whole different way of looking at the whole story. And the, and I think that's something that we can all relate to in our lives. How many times do we fall into complacency and just coast along, right? We haven't, we have a problem. We have something that's going wrong and we daven and we daven and we daven and nothing changes. So we can get bitter, but a lot of times, you know, a lot of, a lot of times, especially, you know, if we believe in Hashem and we believe that everything Hashem does, everything that Hashem does is, for the good, a lot of times what happens is not that we get bitter, we just get complacent. We just say, okay, if this is what Hashem wants from us, then this is what's going to be, right? If Hashem doesn't, if Hashem doesn't want us to have kids, okay, so then we're not, we won't have kids. If Hashem doesn't want us to, you know, X, Y, Z, and we just, whatever it is, you know, kids or shidduch or, or, you know, financial situation or whatever it is, right? We just, we kind of get complacent and we just, we make do. And when, but, but there's, when we're cracked open, right? When we when we suffer, that's when when we're put into an ace sorrow, when we're put into a situation that we cannot endure, that is when our greatness shows. And it's unfortunate, but that's what happens. When our when we are put into a situation that, that we feel squeezed, then we can't that's that's when the, the greatness that's inside of us comes out. And this is when we can tap into what's really deep down inside. Now, what does this have to do with Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah is a day of din. It's a day of judgment. Now, judgment is very scary, but it's also an opportunity. If Yisrael Salanter says that the shofar is a time of din, right? When the shofar is blown on Rosh Hashanah, this is the time of judgment. And the Gemara says that when you hear the shofar, the shofar is for a zikaron. We, we, we blow the shofar as a remembrance. And what is it specifically we're remembering? A few different things. But one of the things that, that we're supposed to remember when we hear the shofar is the Kodesh Kedashim, right? The the Kohen Gadol used to go every year when the Beis HaMikdash was around and the Mishkan was around. The Kohen Gadol used to go every year into the Holy of Holies, right? Into the place where the Aron HaKodesh was kept. And he would, they would tie a string around his waist and he would go in. And if, if, Kla Yisrael were, um, were meritorious if they, if they did teshuva and that their teshuva was accepted. So then the string that was attached to his waist and that trailed outside of the room, it would turn white and he would come out and he would be alive. And if it wasn't, then it would turn red and they would have to pull him out because he would die. So when we hear the shofar, this is what we're supposed to think about. We're supposed to remember the, what happened in the Kodesh Kedashim. And when we hear it, it's as if we're there. So the shofar has the ability to enter into a person's consciousness, into inside of a person, and can remind us that the king is coming and there's a judgment now and your life is in danger. And then this 
this sense of danger, this sense of we don't know what's going to happen can help us tap into ourselves, can to burrow deep inside of ourselves and help us find our greatness, which we can then bring into the rest of the year to live our best lives in the, as the best versions of ourselves. And I don't think it's so, it's such a stretch, especially after a year like this, you know, the last two years where, where we read on, on Yom Kippur and um, Rosh Hashanah, we read about, you know, who's about who, about all the different ways that you can die, right? Unasanatokef and you hear the chauffeur and, you know, all the different terrible things that happened this year. We, 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 our lives are really in Hashem's hands. And when the chauffeur is being blown, that is the time to think about that. That is the time to be afraid. And because that fear, that fear, that, that knowledge that we don't know what's going to happen this year and that, and that Hashem can make our lives go any which way, that fear will help us, will help push us to find our greatness inside of our and to really pray to Hashem the way He wants us to pray to Him and to make sure that we can all be the best we can be.